So I was being told by the social worker that I wasn't going to see my mother again and that I was getting put up for adoption. And I'm arguing with the social worker. I'm 11 years old saying, that's not true. I'm going to see my mother. And uh, she said, no, the judge says you're not going to. And I said, well, I want to go to court and I want to talk to the judge. I'm 11. And uh, she said, that's not possible. And I said, well, I want to be a social worker. <laughs> I was really upset. And I had seen this movie called Angels in the Outfield. I don't know if you've seen it, but it was one of my favorites as a kid. And so the kid looks up at the moon and he says, God, if you're real, you'll help the angels win. And then the angels fly down and help the baseball team win. It used to be the Anaheim Angels. Now it's Los Angeles Angels. So I looked up at the moon that, that night because I remember my hands were tied behind my back. I'm being told I'm never going to see my mom again. And I said, God, if you're real, you'll bring my mommy back. She got sober shortly thereafter, and she's been sober ever since. She read chapter five tonight, and I love you, mom. So she showed me that this program worked, right? And, and so I don't know how she knew I was an alcoholic when I was 16. I started drinking when I was 15, and I will tell you what alcohol did for me. I had a spiritual experience. I didn't have the words for it then, but now I do. The very first time I drank up until the last time I drank. What that means is, okay, I remember it like it was yesterday. It was warm pores light. It was absolutely disgusting. But the way that the can used to look like, it had this shiny mountain on it with, and it was pretty, so I drank out of it. And it was absolutely disgusting. And I don't, nobody's ever taught me how to drink like this. I had never seen anybody drink. And uh, what had happened was, is the more, I intuitively knew that I needed to drink more of it. So the more that I drank, all of a sudden, my head finally shut up. I could finally breathe. I loved everybody in the room and everybody loved me. And I finally had arrived. I was like, this is what I need any chance I can, because <laughs> I hadn't felt that free since I was a very small child. So I love the effect produced. Well, I think I broke it. <laughs> Meeting's over. <laughs> Thank you. Maybe not. Okay. Hello. Okay. I love the effect produced by alcohol. That's what makes me an alcoholic. Okay. So basically, I was told by a professional that I, when I had to seek outside help, right, because AA wasn't enough for me when I had a gear of sobriety, I still was like going off on people. I had all this anger and I didn't know where it was coming from. Anyhow, that based on my childhood, I am textbook alcoholic. So a lot of you say you don't know why, but apparently I'm textbook alcoholic. You're looking at it. So anyhow, uh, I, I'm not blaming my mother, my childhood, anything like that. I drink because I like to get effed up. Like I love the effect produced by alcohol. I love everything about it. I uh, was only good at selling two things. I'm not a salesperson, which the makeup and alcohol, because I truly believe in the product. <laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, I, yeah, I love everything about it. And uh, this is the thing is that I have found that this program does slowly what vodka did quickly, but it does it the real way. So right now I'm in a room full of people that I love. I can breathe and I feel a little bit better every time I go to a movie meeting. It's kind of like my, it's my, it's my medicine, if that makes sense. It's like, and when it's a really good meeting, I feel like I had a big swallow of vodka. So I always am thankful for that. 
Um, I'm a feel good junkie. And if this didn't feel good, I wouldn't be doing it. And I didn't ever know that this was here. So I'm going to rewind in my story. And so uh, let's see. So my grandmother had adopted us and we moved to Mission Viejo and I'm from San Diego. So the people that say, oh, I can't go back home because I'm going to get loaded. That's a lie. You, I'm living proof, textbook alcoholic here, that you can get sober wherever you're from. <laughs> so if you, when you move back home, especially if you have kids, you need to go there, please. Uh, then you just do what you learned here, go to meetings there, find home groups, get commitments, and you'll stay sober. Okay, so we're gonna back up a little bit. So when I was 15 years old, I loved the effect produced by alcohol. I couldn't hang, so I had to retire at 16. My mother introduced me to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, got me psychiatric help, and I stayed sober for two years and three months. I didn't get a sponsor. I didn't work the steps because at that time, back in 2002, there, uh, there weren't many people my age that were alcoholics. It was right before all the treatment wave in this area happened. And so the people I met were like putting needles in their arm. And I thought, oh, wow, they're really bad. I'm not that bad. I don't need to deal with all this stuff, you know, because I can relate to that. I mean, I'm a 16 year old kid. You know, I had never seen anything like that. So uh, I, I had gotten, I spoke to my senior year, my mom reminded me, my senior year, I spoke to over a thousand freshmen about the importance of staying away from alcohol and drugs, <laughs> because I always get really nervous when I'm about to speak. I don't like doing it. She's like, you're so good at it, John. Remember you did it in high school. I totally forgot. And then Stephanie reminded me that I did a 40 minute pitch in San Clemente years ago, like five years ago that I totally had a strange mental blank spot and forgotten about. So this is the second time speaking in the area for me, my whole story. So uh, let's see, where are we gonna go? So then I uh, ended up going to a party when I had two years and three months sober. Like, and I uh, wasn't thinking about drinking and this was a, and I didn't make friends in AA because I was different and I had friends. And so I always saw the differences, right? But thank God for the old timers who instilled this solution in me. So when I was out there, I knew that there was a solution. So uh, I was under the cover sleeping because that's what I do when I'm depressed. I just want to check out sober, like I just sleep. And my friends said, that's enough. We're going to come get you and take you out. They got me ready. We went to a party. I wasn't thinking about drinking. And somewhere along the line, somebody offered me a Corona. And it was sweating and it had a lime at the top. And I thought, and I just drank it. And I had two that night. And I thought, that's it. They were wrong. I'm not an alcoholic. The only time I've ever had two, never just one, right? Unless I had outside issues to help me. But Two is that uh, when I was trying to prove to myself that I was non-alcoholic and I could drink. So I, I shared with you that my sobriety date is March 13, 2014. So I came into these rooms in 2002, right? So just so you know, I know I'm young, but I've literally spent half my national born life like trying to get sober. And I think that's really sad. But... <laughs> Okay, so hopefully my experiences of what not to do can help some of you. 
because like it was said earlier from Dan, thank you for opening, is that I'm very stubborn and I literally tried every single way to get sober except for the way that they told me to. And, uh, and how that came to be, I'm going to share with you what happened. So when things would get scary, I would run back into AA and then I would get sober and stay sober for nine months and then I would relapse. Then my periods over the years got shorter and shorter over the next 12 years, right? So then it was six months relapse. Then it was 90 days relapse. Then it was 60, then 30. And what happened for me is I didn't realize this until later that it is true that this disease is progressive. So so in 2014, from 2002, what used to work about going to meetings and staying sober was no longer working. Like I literally had finally gotten a sponsor. I had worked a fourth step. I had commitments. And uh, when I came back after that relapse, because I believe it was because there was a ninth step amends I didn't want to do is what I believe happened why I didn't stay sober when I finally was doing that stuff. But anyhow, the AA stuff. But uh, so I had commitments, I had the same sponsor, I had home group, but I could not get a week sober. Like I kept drinking and I I kept drinking on Friday or Saturday. And at the time uh, I was 27 and my sponsor, her her, uh, last day drunk was the day I was born. So she had 27 years of sobriety and she said, well, you need to change your playmates. I'm like, what does that mean? So remember, I'm different. I have friends. I don't want to be friends with any of you. So, <laughs> sorry, uh, but that's how I was. So, uh, and she's like, well, if I went to a bar every weekend, I would get drunk. And I thought that was really weird because she seemed untouchable, right? She had 27 years of sobriety. I didn't even think she thought about alcohol anymore, you know? And so when she said that, that was a moment of clarity for me. So this last time when I came into these rooms, I was finally beat into a state of submission, reasonableness. And what that means is for the very first time, I realized that there was, it wasn't alcohol that was the problem. There was something wrong with me. And what that looked like was I went to a meeting where people were nice to me um, at the Shepherd of the Hills Church. Unfortunately, it's no longer there. But I went to a meeting there and these old timers saw me again and they're like, what's going to be different this time, kid? What happened? Did vodka burn you again? And I started crying and they didn't know what to do because I'm really like I've always been a tough kid. They're like, what's wrong? What's what? Are you okay?" And I said it was a luxury to blame the alcohol there's something wrong with me. And they were smiling from ear to ear. Their eyes were glistening. Thank God I was like raised to to respect my elders because I kept my mouth shut when they, because I was thinking in my head, like, look at these people. They're so sadistic. They're getting joy out of my misery. But I was out of ideas. So I kept my mouth shut, just went in the meeting, thank God. Because now I know 2020 hindsight, like a lot of what I'm sharing with you tonight has been for me that they were smiling like that because they knew I was finally going to get this thing. And it talks about that on page 64. It says, liquor is but a symptom. We have to get down to causes and conditions. And what I've heard a lot over the years, which gives me uh, a lot of, I'm not perfect, but I'm trying to be a lot nicer and tolerant of everybody. 
uh, is people get stuck on like the drugs and the alcohol, drugs and the alcohol. And it, that's, I just want you to know, like, that's not what it is. That's what I had to do to relieve myself from me, like my head, all of you, everything. I need to like go extinct, like, you know, blast me out of here. I can't take it. And so there, there's, I had to get down to causes and conditions because if I don't, I'm going to keep drinking, right? Because I can't stand this thing called life. And uh, I knew that this program worked because my mother stayed sober. And when I would see birthdays taken, like Kyle took tonight and Tim took tonight, I could see the joy like you saw in their eyes, you know, like they were actually happy. And you can't fake what they have, right? And so I knew that this program worked, but I just didn't know how to cross the bridge to get from here to there. So I'm going to share with you what I have found. So this last time in 2014, I was told to get a commitment, three commitments, and one of them had to be a coffee commitment. I was excited about the coffee commitment because my mom taught me how to do that. And to be popular at a meeting, you have to make really strong coffee. So I knew I had that one on lock, right? And I get anxiety from people. So it was nice to get there an hour early and not be like be overwhelmed, right? And so I want to thank all of those that came out tonight. Like you're really helping me right now because I have anxiety and I didn't even know that's what I have. And I don't go and get medicated for it. We'll talk about that later. Maybe I will. I don't know, but I haven't found a reason to do that yet. So it helps when I have the people that I love here, right? So then I can just breathe, you know, uh, anyhow. So, and then I got two other commitments and then my sponsor said, and I know how you are, you go to different meetings. So people don't get to know you. I didn't know that about myself. And I was like, what? This is like news to me. Right. And so she goes, so you need to go to the same meetings every week and text me what they are. And you need to get there 15 minutes early and stay 15 minutes late. And I was arguing with her and I said, no, I think I need to go to one of those rehabs, you know, because I thought acupuncture, horseback riding, that sounds like what I needed, right? And uh, I've never been to rehab, guys. I've only been to AA and it works. So if you don't hear anything out of my mouth tonight, I just want you to hear two things. Number one, you never have to drink again. That doesn't need to be your story. Number two, AA works. That's all I hope you hear tonight. Okay. So back to this. So I have these commitments, these three commitments. I'm doing what she said after I argued with her because she hung up on me and I was like, okay, what do I do? So I get, I just did what she said to do because I was out of ideas because I knew that drinking was no longer an option, no matter what. And patio taught me that because she would, she told me that she said, drinking is no longer an option, no matter what. And I would hear her in my head. God rest her soul. And uh, so uh, I mean, sometimes I was a lunatic in my car, like screaming because I wanted to drink so badly, you guys. Like my first year of sobriety, I didn't get a pink, pink cloud. And I am really, really stoked for all of you that do have one. I love when I hear a newcomer share at a meeting and say, oh, everything is so great. I have 20 years sober. I mean, 20 days sober. And uh, I have a regular sleep schedule. I have uh, <laughs> wonderful, never percent and I'm just like, wow, will you sponsor me? Like, <laughs> like, like what? Like, ride that as long as you can. I've never had one. I want one. Anyhow, uh, so what happened for me is I started to get scared because she told me to do 90 meetings in 90 days. And so uh, when I started to approach those 90 days, I started to get scared because I know through my time-tested history 
as soon as my life starts to get better, like I get a car, I get a job, I get a boyfriend, yada, yada. I start going to the gym. You know, when you're new, you got to do all these things like, okay, how many, I need to get a job. I need to get a car. I need to get a boyfriend. I need to go to the gym, you know, all this stuff. <laughs> and people are like, you just need it. I need to go to school. Like you need to stay sober kid. I'm like, no, you don't understand. I need to catch up for all this time. <laughs> so yeah. So I knew that like, once my life gets better, I stopped going to meetings because, you know, now it's like, oh no, I'm watching this really good show or I have a headache or, you know, I have life now. It, it doesn't need to be my life, fill in the blank. And so I was sharing this at meetings and old timers gave me commitments. So I had seven commitments, my first nine months of sobriety. My friends were texting me to go out to clubs and bars and stuff for nine months. And I couldn't go because I had a commitment at a meeting. And once you get commitments, you start to realize people don't show up and do what they're supposed to do. So I knew that the meeting was like counting on me to do my commitments. So I had to go. I'm really impressed with the people that go to meetings regularly and have no commitments. I wish to have that discipline, but I don't. So uh, yeah, I had to, I have to have commitments to get to that meeting. That's just my story. So uh, at nine months sober, my sponsor said that I had to go down to three meetings because I was working full time and, and I was going to go back to school. And what ended up happening for me, I had to put my friends on hold this last time. And I put them on hold for a year because I already knew time tested that I wasn't missing out on anything. They were going to be doing exactly what we were doing. Right. And I just thought this last time, like, just give this a year, Genevieve, just do what they tell you to do. Prove to them that this program isn't going to work for you because you're going to do all of it for a year. And then you can hang out with your friends and just Find out everything you can about this disease of alcoholism and what the solution is, because I'm not an idiot. So once I figured out I have this thing, like I wanted to figure out everything, what it was, what it was and like what the solution was, because up until this point, I didn't really understand what an alcoholic was. I kind of envisioned it being like a homeless guy who pissed his pants and they passed out on a park bench. Right. So. Uh, what it is, is it's a three-part disease. It's a mental obsession, a physical allergy, and a spiritual malady. And there's a solution for that too, when you see it on the triangle, right? Service, recovery, and unity. So what unity means is even though I don't like some people, like I, I'm going to be nice to them. That's very difficult for me. But... <laughs> And so God makes that possible for me because I can't do it alone. I can't do it. I can't do it. I need God's help. So where's God in that, right? So I have to ask God to help me to um, give this person compassion, grace. Please replace my anger with compassion. Please replace. Because that's the thing is that if I just keep asking God to remove my character defects, I'm going to be a huge hole, right? So Tim taught me about uh, the nine elements of love there's this wonderful book it's called the greatest gift in the world and so what we're supposed to do is replace it with the opposite um basically like which is one of the principles of of love so that's been really helpful and i've been able to uh how do i want to say this be really kind to my, the people that i have believed to be my enemies <laughs> 
same the disease centers in the mind. Obviously, you can hear by listening to me that there's something like not perfect up here, right? So, so that's what I also found out. So this disease centers in between my ears. So I used to listen to this head all the time as law, right? And now I'm starting to do this um, this exercise where I'm just observing my thoughts and I laugh most of the time because it's hilarious what my head will try to say. Like my head right now is telling me that everybody in here wants to go home and they're really tired and I'm boring. <laughs> I don't know, is that true you guys? Yeah. So that's why it's like listening, just observing the thoughts, right? Because I don't wanna be one of those crazy people who listens to gremlins in their head. Like that doesn't sound like good or attractive. Right. But that's what I used to do. So like if I felt that way before, like I would just like run out of the meeting, you know, so I used to sit in the back just in case I needed to go. And I would get like prior to this time sober, I would sit in the back. I wouldn't talk to him. I would get right. I would get into the meeting right when it started, sometimes later because I didn't want to identify as new. And I didn't know you could just lie about it and sit there. <laughs> so, yeah, I, yeah, I'm on the slow train but I'm on the train so <laughs> and just so you know a little bit about my willingness I, um, my old home group used to be like a 300 people Sunday night speaker meeting and I stood up in that meeting as a newcomer for nine months straight so those people that are like oh I don't want to stand up as new again I'm like stand up and be like you're not gonna get any sympathy from me like stand up be proud and be you you know because that's like you're finally like saying, hey, I'm accepting help, right? There's nothing like, for some reason, there's like this shame and this guilt associated with it. And I know because I experienced it for a very long time, but it's, but now after working this program and doing the 12th stuff, that's when I realized that all of that shame and guilt was pointless because now I believe I can help a lot of people that other people can't because a lot of people don't understand about relapse and I do. And, and so I can help those people that have relapse stories like me. So let's back up a little bit. So this time sober, when I did my fourth step, my mother was on there. She wasn't on my previous fourth step. And I was mad when my sponsor told me she needed to be on there. And I said, no, she doesn't. She's my mom, I love her, everything's good, right? But for whatever reason, she was on there this time. Then the ninth step amends I didn't make that I was afraid of making. That one I made, and that's when my world went from black and white back to color. The most, that was the most, those two steps were the most powerful for me because like I said, I'm a feel good junkie. So when I did that fourth step, I, when I finally did it, like I felt like a thousand pounds was lifted off of me. I didn't know I was carrying. And I remember afterwards thinking, why were all these people always complaining about the board stuff and meetings, like saying it's scary and all this stuff. I was like, what am I afraid of feeling? What are they afraid of feeling better? <laughs> like, cause that's all that happened. And then the ninth step, that was, that one is when my world went from black and white back to color. And so then I realized that these steps are not designed to make us feel shameful or guilty. Like our head likes to tell us, right? They're designed to make us feel better. And that's been, in my experience, that's precisely what will happen if you don't do them. You'll feel shame, guilt, dirty, all that stuff, right? So then uh, when I did the, tw the 12 step, I was really afraid of that one because I thought that's a really big commitment, like to take somebody's life into my hands and 
you know, all this stuff. I can't do that. My sponsor said, yes, you can, you know how to stay sober. And that was the biggest blessing, right? Is because, you know, they say you have to give it away to keep it. I don't agree with that. I believe in my experience, you have to give it away to even get it. Because the more I take people through this, the steps, the more I understand this disease, the more that I start to see myself in those pages. And uh, it's a whole nother experience. And I, and I get really high off doing it. So I love it. Like I do. And like, they're get, like Dan heard me the, yesterday, like I was doing a third step over the phone now with the pandemic, right? And I was like getting so riled up because she was getting it, you know? And I, I hope she's on here, Brittany. But I was literally just like, I was like literally like getting so hyped up. I was like, yes, yes, yes. Like, you know, like how people get with football games. Like that's how I was. And uh, anyhow. So then, uh, and I just, uh, I still, so this is what I also did in my first year. That's very important, like essential. So I, I wanted to learn everything about this program. So I like acronyms. How do I do this, right? So H for honesty, O for open-mindedness, and W for willing. As long as I'm those three things, I'm in good standing despite whatever's going on. And so what that looks like today is like, if somebody's telling me something I don't want to hear, I quietly tell myself, Genevieve, open your mind, open your mind. So I can receive what it is that they're telling me because it's bugging me because it's true and I don't want to hear it, right? And that has saved me, that has saved me. And so, uh, and uh, I, okay, I was told to pray, right? So when I was new, I don't know about anybody in here that's new, but my brain was going really fast and it wouldn't shut up. And so uh, the only thing I could do in the beginning was, God, please keep me sober today. And at night, thank you for keeping me sober. And I kept forgetting to get on my knees and it was really difficult. And an old timer told me to put my keys under the bed. So that worked for some time until I would forget to put the keys at night, right? So she said, put your toothbrush in a plastic Ziploc bag and put it under the bed because you brush your teeth in the morning and at night. And I was so willing and desperate, I did that. Like I have an electronic toothbrush now, it's a lot easier, but like, but, but I got the Ziploc bag and I put it under the bed because I knew drinking and drugging was no longer an option no matter what. And I needed to feel better like yesterday, like not now, yesterday. Like I need everything now, you know, I'm an alcoholic. So anyhow, I did that and that's what got me on my knees finally. Thank you for keeping me sober tonight or today, right at night. And then God, please keep me sober. And then obviously I needed more because I'm an alcoholic. So I, um, I found the third step prayer in the big book and I read it on my knees every morning until I memorized it. Then I needed more. So I found the seven step prayer in the big book. And then I read the third step prayer, which I had memorized. And then the seven step until I memorized it. Then I needed more. And I was looking for the 11 step prayer and I couldn't find it. And then I found it finally. It's in the 12 and 12 on page 99. So then I read that one until I memorized it and that was enough. And so I still do those, those three prayers every morning. When I do it on my knees, it's a lot more powerful. You won't know until you try it. But sometimes I'm running late, blah, 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 doing it like on the way to work, in the car, or like um, sometimes if I don't do it, I'm at work, I'll get on my knees in the back and do it. Because for me, what happens is if I don't pray every morning by noon, I am irritable and discontent and nothing's going my way. And I just start getting like really miserable. And then I think 
because I have kind of like an internal checklist. Did I pray today? Oh, no, I didn't. I better do that right now. And that's just for me because I need to stay connected to the power source, right? Otherwise, um, those that know me, I'm a little saucy. And I guess, I don't know. I've never, my sister says I have like this evil doll look. I don't know. I haven't seen it. But apparently I can be scary. I like to think of myself as a really nice person that people take advantage of. But apparently, <laughs> there's another side. I don't know. This is just uh, what I've heard. <laughs> so uh, how am I doing on time? Eight minutes? Okay, wonderful. <sighs> okay, so uh, let's see. So I still do what I did in uh, my early recovery. And that's also, I started reading pages 86 to 88 again, and it's upon awakening. And that's really helped because this is a thing is that when I shared with you, when I came into these rooms in 2014, that my alcoholism had progressed without my knowledge or permission. And that was the most alcoholic I had ever been. And I had to do something about it. Here I stand 23 days away from turning eight years sober. And I am more alcoholic than I've ever been in my life. Why? Because alcoholism, what I have found you guys, it progresses whether you're sober or not. So, yeah, I know. But there's a solution, right? So I have to treat my alcoholism on a daily basis. And I get to choose. Am I going to treat it with alcohol or am I going to treat it with a spiritual solution? <laughs> and I have yet to, I have had so many situations happen that in the past I would have thought was good reason to drink or drug. And let me tell you, I have not yet found a reason to do that because I already know that it's not going to solve anything. I already know, time tested, that it's not going to solve my current issue and it's going to give me a barrel of new problems I did not sign up for. <laughs> no thanks. So then I do this thing and what I have found by doing that and going through these walls that I had before and, um, and how I did that was I was hit several times with these situations, it was like, and I was told by a good friend of mine, it's either grow or go Genevieve. And she said, you know how we are, because she's a chronic relapser too. And she said, you know how we are, we're gonna go out there again and we're not gonna die, we're gonna suffer and we're gonna come back and we're gonna hit the same wall again. And I was so sick and tired, I didn't wanna hit the damn wall again. So I would say, okay, I'm gonna do this thing. And when I finally did that and I got to the other side, I got to see how I used to rob myself from the blessing on the other side that was tenfold from the pain because of my inability to trust God. That is the truth. So now when I'm going through things and it's really painful, I get the strength to go through it because I know that the blessing is tenfold from the pain, even though I can't see it. It's kind of like that whole darkest before the light or like there's a really dark tunnel. Sometimes it seems never ending, but I know that when I get to the other side, I'm going to be so grateful, right? And it's all, and the blessing is always tenfold from the pain. And so I wanted to share that with you because things are going to happen. Like I hear a lot in meetings like, oh, I'm sober now. My life is amazing. And that's great. But you know what? There's going to be trials, trials and tribulations. And the only thing we can do is change ourselves, right? So that's why I love that acceptance is the answer. And we read that at my Friday night meeting every week because it's not what needs to be changed in everybody else because I can't change them. It's what can, God, what can I change? What needs to be changed in me, right? And that, because that's the only thing I have control over is me, myself, and I. I can't control you or you or 
anyone, you know? And, uh, and so let's see. Uh, so I still have commitments at meetings. I'm the treasurer at the Friday night meeting. I started going to a big book study and a step study, step study on Wednesday nights with my sorority sister, Ellen, who's here tonight and our sponsor, Stacey. And I love that. And I want to share about the importance about doing a step book study in a in a um, 12 in a big book study every week. I was taught to do a big book study and a step book study every single week and a speaker meeting with my sponsor, right? And then and I could choose whatever other meetings. It's very important to be in a big book study and a step book study because you get into the literature. And during the pandemic, I had one on Zoom. And then a series of events happened where I forbidden that. And then I was without a step book study or a big book study for the first time in my sobriety for almost a year's time. And let me tell you, it was awful. Like I started to be like crazy in sobriety. I started hating everyone. I started getting annoyed by everybody's share. I was just like, oh, shut up. You're so selfish and self-centered, like all kinds of stuff. And, and that had never happened to me before. Because all the times before that, I started to, when I finally like started to listen for the similarities, I could see myself in everyone. And, uh, and so now that I am doing the big book study and the step book study for the last month or so, like I'm starting to like be back to like, like loving everybody, liking everybody, like, like hearing myself and everybody. And that's not any mistake, right? So I just wanted to share that, that those are the things that have been the most helpful to me. And I'm also um, on the board of directors of HNI with John, who's here tonight. And uh, we bring panels to facilities, which I love doing. And, uh, and I think it's important to carry the message because this meeting, this program does work. So when I did get that year of sobriety, because remember I was gonna show everybody that this didn't work and it worked. And so now I'm in love with Alcoholics Anonymous because it works and it brings, it brings children back to their parents. It brings parents back to their children. You know, and that's the one thing is when I don't like somebody, I, I remember that there's somebody's sister, somebody's daughter, somebody's brother. And that is the strength that I get to be nice to them because I don't ever want anybody to feel uncomfortable in a room of Alcoholics Anonymous. Okay, this is a safe place. So if I don't like somebody, I'm not gonna drag their name through the mud. That's not right, okay? Because this needs to be a safe place for them. So that's been my experience. I'm gonna end right now. And I hope that you have a wonderful evening. Thank you for listening. God bless you.